This is the Raider Cotton Nation podcast with your host, Alpha Mike, and our roster of co-hosts, we patrol America's law enforcement beat. We invite you today on a ride-along. Now, here's your weekly briefing on Raider Cop Nation. Episode 116, Who's the Boss of the LCN? Transmitting high atop of Florida's peninsula at 108 feet, this is Alpha Mike, and you're listening to Raider Cop Nation. As I said today, this is a part of the Wise Guy series, and some people have asked, well, I want to know who the leadership is today, I don't want to hear about yesteryear. So we're going to come out with a list. But I've made a decision, instead of just rambling names and saying thanks for listening, we're going to split this up into two podcasts. And that way it gives me more time to explain uh, each family and every character. Now, with that being said, today we are going to discuss primarily the five families of New York. Then on our second podcast, and I'll give you the date with that in a minute, we're going to discuss Philadelphia, Detroit, New Jersey, uh, New uh, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, they're both together, Chicago and Buffalo. But for today, it's the five families and a little of their jurisdictions that they have and, and so forth. So a lot to discuss. We're going to also discuss about the club. Today's emphasis of the, of the club is core values and some uh, support from other organizations or mutual uh, of understanding agreements, how they work and how important they are. Oh, are they important? So we'll talk briefly on that. Remember, February 12th, 2020, there will be a secondary episode on the club, which basically will talk about everything that I've talked about since uh, episode 109 all the way to the end of the year. You kind of do that in a condensed uh, fashion. And to give you an overview of how the clubs in my era worked, uh, today I don't know if they work like that or if uh, they just throw parties. I, you know, you'd have to ask to, uh, the current organizations out there. Oh, so what else do we got on the agenda? And I'm, I'm going to give you a brief... Um, let, let's take a look at the... Uh, while I got you on the horn here, we're going to look at our uh, upcoming uh, episodes because we've made one little change to be concurrent to be current with this episode. And uh, as you know, today in this episode, 116, who's the boss of the mafia or who's the boss of the LCN, La Costa Nostra, on December 11th, we have Truth, Justice, and the New American Way, episode 117, December 18th, conservative versus liberal leaders in law enforcement, differences and difficulties, and that's episode 118. December 25th, 
And of course, that's Christmas. We'll have the best of Raider Cup Nation. And we'll just put like five or six of the top episodes in 2019. We'll kind of like throw the best parts there so you can hear them. January 1st, praising God for another year. That's episode 120, always God placing first in everything we do. Okay, here's our change. January 8th, we will play uh, the second part of this episode, Who's the Boss of the LCN? And again, we're going to discuss in that episode, Philadelphia, Detroit, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, which is one and the same, Chicago and Buffalo. But today, in this episode, we're going to talk about the five families of New York. Now, what we had scheduled for January 8th is La M, which stands for M in alphabet in Spanish, for the Mexican Mafia, and that was episode 121. So we're going to push that back to probably, uh, I think it's March, probably, because February is already done. So we push back to March. So it gives us more time, give the president more time so he can go ahead and make them an official, uh, put them on the official terrorist list. So we can talk about that. Too. So we'll hold off on that. Uh, January 15th with Wonder Woman, her debut with us, and uh, that's episode 122, a roll call. January 22nd, Pistol Pete, and that is episode 122. Three, he's going to be talking about, guess what? You're going to be shocked of this. Gunsmithing. The gunsmith. Correct. And January 29th, 2020, Crisis Intervention, Part 3 of the 10-part series. We've already done one and two. So this is three. So that's episode 124. Crisis Intervention Training, Part 3 of 10. January 29th. All right, so now we're going to jump into the the word of the week, and then uh, we'll talk a little bit about the club. So without any further ado, let's uh, hear the word of the week. Oh, before I click on for the word of the week, just to make it consistent and for everybody to follow, we are continuing with the Test Everything 1521 series how do you hear that series? You can go to RaiderCopNation.com. On the top of the toolbar, you you will see Test Everything. You click on that, and you can hear those episodes. They're less than 15 minutes, the powerful Word of God. If you went AWOL and didn't go to church on Sunday, you can hear God's Word for as less as 15 minutes. And what we're doing here on the show We've incorporated the Word of the Week into our episodes, and we read them. We just, you know, it's a simple reading of of the Word, and then we go into our regular episode. Now, what I read for that episode, that same day that you're listening to the podcast, the what I read on that episode on Radio Cop Nation will come out on Test Everything. So, uh, I hope it's not confusing. But let's just uh, break away, read the word, and we'll move on. You'll catch up. Don't worry. I trust you.
Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12, 21. So that's our word. We read it today. If you want to hear more on what I read, you would go to readacopnation.com, click on the toolbar that says test everything, and you will hear the 15-minute episode on the word that I just read. See how simple that was? Wasn't that complicated? And, of course, good always is victor always over evil. And speaking of evil, we're going to, you know, get with this uh, episode here today as a lot of people really like to talk and hear about mobsters. And there's there's a, an affection somehow with a lot of listeners on the subject. But the bottom line is, how do they end? Don't read to me. The middle of the story, read to yourself the ending of the story. They all somewhat end the same. Death or prison, betrayal, power hungry, stabbing each other in the back, uh, cooperating with the government, blase, blase, blase. So there's no no real happy ending, so. Keep always that in mind. All right, uh, we we did the schedule. We talked about that and uh, what we're focusing for uh, 2020. We're going to have, during the 2020 uh, season, we're going to have a couple of guests we're going to come on. And I I haven't come up with a number. It might be six for the whole year. So that's not a whole lot. And we're going to reach out to specific people and have, you know, bring them on and talk. You know, it's a new segue that we're going to be doing. Of course, our superheroes are always there, and they continue to come out with us. So the superheroes are not going anywhere. We're just adding another segment to the episode, to the Radio Cop podcast. Our numbers are, are we're going up. Of course, we're in the Happy Hollies. And whenever you hit the Happy Hollies, not only on this podcast, every podcast around the country, the numbers start to go down. You see, the turkeys are more important than listening to this turkey. And during ho-ho-ho season, the fat guy with the red suit and the white beard becomes a little bit more important as well. But fear not. These people can listen to these podcasts at their leisure. So if you don't catch it this week, you can catch it next week. So our numbers are consistent. They are going up, so don't be fooled. Raider Cop Nation is on the way up. And I like the numbers, how they're formulating, and the people uh, are coming together. Uh, Let's uh, talk about one more that we're going to uh, oh okay I, I remember what it is uh, our platforms uh, we have the platform of course of uh, Twitter Facebook Instagram blah 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 and all that other stuff so we're going to be uh, downsizing some of that for example Twitter we have a 
09 Tactical Twitter uh, handle, and uh, we're going to probably let that go. And uh, the site as well, and the we even have 09.com, 09TG.com, and we'll probably let that go. So, you know, in 2020, I'll, I'll break it down. The reason we're doing it for it just become uh, too confusing and too much uh, uh, time-consuming. You know, doing this show is turned into almost a day of talking into Mike and research and and putting uh, the editing and so forth. And then later on, uh, depending on the subject, I might have to continue doing researching. And so... Um, trying to do uh, the 09 uh, website and Twitter and social networking and all that, they kind of uh, compete against each other. And so uh, making life simple, and you know the rest, stupid. So we're going to make it easier for ourselves. All right, let's talk about the club. Today we're going to... And we've come up with a lot of discussions on the club. Our last one was on membership. And uh, today we're going to talk about uh, support with other clubs and the mutual of understandings, if they should even be created and what the hell are they, and core values. So as an organization, you're only as strong as your membership, and your support. So as we discussed earlier in other podcasts, we had a connection network that also included politicians that could never be trusted. So although they gave us support up until a, a, a minimum, and a betrayal with politicians was always around the corner. So you had to reach out to certain organizations. And we discussed that during the my club experience, we were part of a council for or coalition. And that coalition represented other uh, groups, just like ours from other agencies. And, um, we voted and supported each other on specific causes. One club and another or agency might be having a certain problem and want Organization B to handle the problem for Organization A by doing um, media outlet or uh, networking with uh, certain uh politicians or business groups or so forth, putting the pressure on. So it was important if you were going to go into that realm. You know, social networking back then, almost every organization had some type of event or party, and usually every other club would buy tables that consisted of 10 seats on a table. That's a table, 10, 10 chairs. So, you know, if a ticket was, you know, $50, do the math real quick, it'd come up to $500 for that table. So every uh, group would kind of support the other group and buy a table and uh, hopefully staff it. You know, I have seen that. They buy a table and then the freaking thing's empty. I, 
that and never understood that. So you wanted to go beyond that. You know, when you're talking about you're doing business now with another club, you you want to make sure that there's an understanding, a written agreement, and there's an understanding of the core value. So you would come up with a, a memorandum of understanding. Now, during my era, we, we had uh, several of them. Uh, I can't come up with a number off the top of my head, but it, it could have been four or five. There weren't many, but there were. And they were very detailed on, on certain things. I noticed in other clubs would sign them ceremonially, like uh, it, it was a shrewd or something. It wasn't very important. And uh, for us, whenever we got their mutual understanding, it should have reflected ours. I dissected every word. If I didn't like a word, I'd ask to have it changed, or I wouldn't freaking sign the thing. Because it meant the seriousness of the bond. So to ignore that or just a ceremonial signature wasn't going to be very uh, effective. Some people or some clubs decide on handshakes, which are good. They're very nice and they're very traditional, but they usually don't work because people become absent-minded and there's nothing to reflect back on that handshake. So putting it in writing and a mutual understanding is much more important. Sometimes the M, uh, MOA, MOU, excuse me, would would be placed on sort of like um, a portrait, you know. It's, uh, you know, you type it out nice and fancy and all that kind of stuff. We support uh, the, 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 and, and blank, blank, blank. And you write it on, you put it on a picture frame. And, you know, we, we kind of uh, hand it over to the other group, you know, so they could keep it uh, as a memento. So uh, we also had the habit of giving out clocks uh, when uh, there was agreements, and that, that's just to let you know what time it was, and the clock would have a logo of the organization on it. Keep you, keep you honest, I guess. Uh, core values. We'll finish with this. The core value is very important. I'm going to give you an example. We have fought as an organization specifically for the upward mobility of uh, Hispanics in our agency. Now, there was ways of doing it independent who the leader was at the time. They did it their way. I specifically never liked uh, giving names, specific names. Why? Uh, that would ruin all the fun out of it. So I'd give you maybe a list of characters, and you could pick from. But that didn't uh, disalign uh, anybody else from any other race. Uh, we weren't trying to roll people out like other clubs did. They would basically r run into uh, politicians' office or chiefs of police or sheriffs or what have you and say, our guy needs to get, he needs to take this position, point blank, and that's it. Nobody else considered. Just drop all those other papers. Our guy, and that's it. We never wanted to do that. We always gave the the 
intent that we really desired our guy to get it, but it was his call or her call, whoever's in charge. Of course, he didn't go with us. Then uh, the game was on. We were watching that person like a hawk, and every time they would hiccup and make a mistake, we were on it. So we would build a case. It just take us longer to get to where we were going. So, but uh, the other groups, they'd like to, no, no, forget everybody else. You got to pick us. If not, you're a racist. We didn't, I didn't like to go that way. So with core value, as we fought the uh, agencies and the government for many years, upward mobility of Hispanics was our core value. So later on, there's another organization that has a mutual understanding with us. They reach out to one of our uh, councils, let's just say, and they tell him this is a great opportunity for all of us if we back this individual. Well, the council that heard it said, I'll take the message back. But I could tell you right now, it's probably going to be rejected because it goes against our core values. Of course, he did contact me, talk to me about it. I let him finish the sentence, and I go, what are you, freaking nuts? And it did go against our core values. The person that they wanted was of another race, we'll say that. Was a great guy, don't get me wrong. Know who he was and and um, dealt with him on a personal and professional level. But it went against our core value. There was a lot of networking, a lot of phone calling, trying to give me uh, the runaround. We had finally a person that met our criteria, was about to sit in the seat for the first time in the agency's history. And I couldn't understand people from similar clubs couldn't figure it out, and they were so in tune to supporting Anybody on the top, regardless of race or creed, just as long as they got a, a better seat in the auditorium. And I believe those people, those groups, were missing their core value. Once you step and piss on your core value, you're doomed. Nobody will ever respect you because you're wishy-washy. You're a yo-yo. Okay, and I, for, for those that don't know, yo is I in Spanish. So we used to call people yo-yos. Yo hago esto, yo hago lo otro. I do this, I do that. So you become a yo-yo, 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 okay? So those people, they were yo-yos and running their organizations and believing what they wanted. So uh, we didn't uh, put them out there. We stuck to our guns. We stuck to our position. We did get a lot, several phone calls on lobbying to try to get us to change, and I said, no, I'm, I'm not changing. And, um, you know, they, they would always look at uh, once the, the person that we backed uh, got into the seat, uh, 
if, if they didn't comb their hair the right way, they were all that pointing their fingers. I go, look, man, you need to grow up because the bottom line is uh, we're all in this together. So that's my take on the club and support mutual of understanding agreements and the core value of the group. All right, let's time the blow the horn, get the clowns ready, and it's time for our main event. <laughs> Five families, and I'm going to give it to you in the in this order: the Colombo family, the Bonanno, Genovese, Lucchese, and Gambino. Each of them have a story attached. We'll tell you what their core leadership is: boss, underboss, and consulary. And if we don't know it, you know, because there are some question marks on who's who. We will uh, discuss a little bit more about their, the family and how they got to the point that they're in and whatever uh, territories that they basically have or if they're expanding and, and so forth. So without any further ado, we're going to start with the Colombo family. Now, out of all the families, this is the most troubling or troubled one. Of course, the Colombos have had three wars already. And uh, it's a killing fest over there sometimes. They go back in time and in history. If we look at uh, the, the historical chart, they started off as the Provaci family. And the Provaci family, from uh, Salvatore Provaci, he became his own uh, organization back in the startup in 1931. So he w they were placed on the commission. And uh, actually that was Joe Provaci, not Salvatore was his brother, was consulary. And it, it, it he ruled uh, 31, I think he died in uh, 62, six, yeah, 62. So he ruled during all that time. And then uh, after he died, his underboss takes over. His underboss makes an agreement with what is alleged uh, Banano to take out uh, uh, Gambino and Lucchese because there was a little feud going on in the commission, and we'll get with, to that at the end of uh, what we're talking about here today. But uh, Banano alleges in his autobiography, A Man of Honor, that that was all horse manure that his cousin Stefan Magadino, which was uh, a boss in another city, was uh, out to take over his entire family, so he was making up stories to make him look bad. Nevertheless, um, the underboss 
for Provacci after Provacci's death reaches out to one of the captains in the Provacci family to uh, kill Lucchese, Thomas Lucchese and Carlo Gambino. And uh, that capo, or a captain in the family, was Joseph Colombo. Colombo thought about it twice and said, uh, this is going to go the wrong way. And uh, he decided to tell Carlo Gambino what the plot was. He was rewarded. Uh, he was given uh, the family and uh, as uh, more of an honor, the commission at the time uh, took out the name Provacci and placed it as the Colombo family. But, so he was rewarded for for doing the right thing in their minds and telling the commission about this uh, murder plot. And um, later on, the story with Joe Colombo, uh, he goes and starts the Italian-American uh, club and he starts picketing the FBI officers and, uh, and so forth. And he starts to become a public image. Remember, this is supposed to be a secret society. So he basically becomes like the first John Gotti. He's out there in front of the cameras and picketing and creating organizations. And a lot of other bosses, even including Carlo Gambino, told him, hey, you got to low profile it. But he didn't want to. And uh, since the Colombos or the Provacci family, whichever one you want to call it at the time, in 1970, oh, one or two, no, 1972, uh, Joe Colombo was shot at uh, Columbus Circle in New York during a, a rally for his organization. And uh, he was placed in a coma for about seven years and then he died. So during those uh, time that he was out of commission, uh, they went through, you know, the underboss. But because the underboss... Uh, did this thing with Joe Colombo, the commission shelved him. Now, real quick, I'll tell you what that means. Shelving is a position that, instead, in lieu of killing you, because the mob can't just go around killing everybody, in lieu of them killing you, they would place you on the shelf, meaning you were disposed of. You were removed from all authority in business in La Costa Nostra. Anything that you controlled was taken from you and you could not use or associate with any made member in any family. Your name was smudged and told to every family that you have been placed on the shelf and you are persona non gratis and they should not talk to you. So that was a kiss of death for many of these gangsters that really didn't know how to do anything but what they were doing. So you didn't put a bullet in them, but you shelved them, and that was just as just as bad. So the underboss to the uh, Provacci family was uh, shelved, and uh, Colombo got to uh, pick his entourage and so forth. But we're talking about what's today. Those are those nasty emails I get. I want to talk. I want to know about today. So the last boss was uh, Carmine Persico, and he held firm the organization from the uh, uh, 80s up until his death in 2019, just recently. And he was ruling for many of those years in prison. 
It's not very effective to be a prison boss, but some of these guys do that. So Persico finally clocked out, and now the acting position currently uh, goes to or the street boss position. And I'll explain that in a minute. Goes to Andy Andy Mushruso, which is actually a cousin of Carmine Persico. Now, you have the three leadership positions, which is boss, underboss, and consulary. But a lot of these bosses, they might be in prison. So they need somebody in their name, in their absence, to do the day-to-day operations. So they put a street boss. It could be one guy or it could be a council of three. And uh, so the street boss for the Colombo family right now is uh, Andy Mushruso, which is dying to retire, but he can't because there's really not too many people on top that can take that position. And uh, it's leaving a lot of question marks as to who's going to uh, fill in those shoes. Underboss comes in as uh, Benjamin the Claw Castellazzaro and uh, Consulary Thomas Mr. T. Farese. Now, he's semi-retired, living in South Florida, but he's holding down the fort. Now, there's other speculation out there about uh, other people. Um, they're either in jail or too old. Um so they're either flying under the radar or people are far-fetched in believing that they have these superior roles based on their age or based on their current condition. So that would be who's running the Colombo family would be Andy Mush Russo. He's the street boss, the actual boss of the family is dead, which was Carmine Persico. There's a question mark who's going to take over. Now, the street boss before him, uh, Andy Mush, which is now in jail himself, is Tommy, is uh, Thomas Tommy Shot Gioelli. And uh, he basically got the nod in 04, is in prison, and he is going to get cut loose from prison in 2024. Known as, well, Tommy Shots, that tells you everything. Being a little strict and, um, of course, a lot older, so a lot more calmer, uh, it is believed that uh, the mantle might have been passed to him, and when he comes out in 2024, he'll take it. Other rumors have uh, uh, led to uh, Carmine Persico's nephew, Teddy Boy Persico, which is a nephew, of uh, Carmine, and uh, he's scheduled for release August of 2020. Now, Teddy uh, Boy might come in and just become the street boss and hold the the chair for Tommy Schatz. So we'll see. And another name that came out and that's been floating around is Ralph Leombardo. Uh, He's about 86 years old. So, again, we talked about age or or certain conditions a little far-fetched. But that's uh, what you have with the Colombo family. They have about 74 to 85 members. They are the smallest of all the five families in New York under a lot of turmoil because Carmine Persico has been uh, jailed since uh, 86 
died in 2019. You can do the math on that one. They've never seen their boss. He's behind bars. And it's very hard to run a family behind bars. That's why they've had these wars. People want to take over. Hey, this guy's nowhere around. Let's take over. Blah, blah, blah. And start shooting it up. So that's the the uh, Colombo family. Now we're going to jump over to the Bonanno family. And the Bonanno... Oh, let's skip back. We'll go back to the Colombo family for a second. The uh, uh, area of uh, criminality would be New York City, New Jersey, L.A., Los Angeles. They are known to be there. And South Florida. Okay. Now back to the... Now we'll go into the Bonanno family. Now, the Bonanno family, and I'm not going to bore you the hell with the who's who, but, of course, Joseph Bonanno was the founder in the inception of 1931. And as we've said in the Wise Guys series, when when we're referring to the La Costa Nostra, we will... Point of reference of the beginning is 1931. Can I go beyond or before 1931? Of course, but that wouldn't be interesting because I'd be talking about dinosaurs. So 1931 is our point of uh, of commencement, and Joseph Bonanno, the he bears the name of the organization, ran it from 1931 to 1968. And he officially walked away. And uh, once he walked away, of course, they had the banana wars in the 60s over that. They were trying to throw him out. And, uh, you know, the, the commission basically said, we shelved you. Remember, we talked about that position, shelf. But banana said, I retired. So it's kind of, you know, it's up to whose interpretation. So it's very difficult to kind of pin... Obviously, Bonanno, after 1968, had very little to do with his own family because he so-called said he was in retirement. Were there still criminal activities going on in his mind and head and everything? Of course, because he he gets popped uh, for one. I think he's got four years, five years he he ended up doing, trying to shake down a car dealership or something like that. So uh, it's kind of hard to say. All right, so Bonanno uh, retires, and then Carmen Galante hits the street, and that was his underboss, and blah, blah, blah. And then it goes to Rustelli. We could be here all day, folks. It is disorganized after Bonanno. We'll just say that. And a guy by the name of Joe Messina ends up in ruling the family after 91 when Rusty Rustelli uh, dies. Uh, Rusty Ristelli was picked by the commission to run the family. And Joe Messina is probably one of the most effective bosses that the Bonanno family's had since Joe Bonanno himself. When he comes out of prison, takes over the helm, he all of a sudden revolutionizes La Costa Nostra in New York. Other families start following suit. Now, if you know about Donnie Brasco, the movie where the FBI infiltrated the Mafia family, which was the Bonanno family, for six years an FBI agent was in the ranks of the Bonanno family, almost became a made member, and a lot of indictments went out and a lot of people got killed because of uh, all this. But the Bonanno family itself, the commission, they threw them out of the commission. They didn't want the Bonannos there any longer, and 
they were not to be trusted. I mean, no other families really wanted to do many, much business with them. And the high-stakes business, like construction industry and stuff like that, the bananas got kicked right in the pants, get out of here, because of the FBI infiltration. So when Messino comes out of prison and takes over the helm, <coughs> he comes, excuse me, he comes up with a couple of rules. One is you can't mention his name. Now, he didn't come up with that. Uh, well, he didn't, I'll tell you who came up with it in a minute. But uh, you, you had to touch your ear, which meant Joe Messino. And, uh, you know, when you, so you don't want to come out on recording devices. Uh, no social clubs, low profile. Um, there was a set of rules that had gone wacky. These rules were always in place, but somehow when John Gotti in the 80s became boss, he was flamboyant, he was on TV, he was all over the place. The rules went out the window. So Messino now brings it back and says, "Eh, we're going to pull all this in. Messino ends up getting arrested and uh, indicted, and and everything looked pretty good until 2004, I believe it was, when he, oh, 2002, when he um, gets found guilty of, I believe, seven murders, and they start talking about the death penalty. At that time, Joe Messino now says, I'm going to cooperate, that he would be the first sitting boss of any mafia clan to be a cooperative witness with the FBI. He cooperates. He dis- I mean, he killed what was left. And uh, But prior to that, he had already put somebody in charge. And when he was in prison, a street boss by the name of a uh, guy by the name of Vinnie Gorgeous. And uh, Gorgeous owned a lot of beauty salons in the Bronx, but uh, he was the acting boss or the street boss. He ends up going to prison, okay, uh, on some rap. And he's he's in uh, the cell in confinement with Joe Messina. And Messina's asking him questions about killings. Hey, that guy I, I told you guys to get rid of. And hey, where'd you bury the body? You know? and, and then the other one selling him, you know, this is a, a mob one-on-one, no, no. You never talk about something that happened because you're admitting what happened. But they're talking about it in the cell. And um, uh, Joe Messina was wired and uh, because he was cooperating. And Vinny Gorgeous was blabbing and didn't know. So needless to say, Vinny Gorgeous got in the rear end too with a life prison sentence. So there's a, a, a little rumbling here and there. And... Um, on leadership, and a guy by the name of Michael the Nose Mancuso takes over. And once he takes over, he gets charged with one of the murders. I don't think they really pinned it on me. He ended up uh, doing uh, 12 years on some other rap and just got released in uh, 2019. He went to jail in 08 on those uh, convictions when Messino was playing his uh, top 100 hits. And he basically uh, pins it on uh, the nose here, Michael the Nose Mancuso. But he uh, got out of prison, and he's taking the helm again. Now, prior to him, the street boss was a guy by the name, and the underboss was a guy by the name of Camarano Jr. His father was in the 
on the mob as well, the Bonanno family, known as Joe Sand Sanders. And uh, Junior Camarano was the underboss and the street boss. And the consulary is uh, John Porky Sancocho. Now, a lot of people, and there's, a, there's this one article out there saying that when uh, the nose got out of prison, Mancuso, he was upset because Camarano and uh, John Porky Sancocho had a trial together and they basically got off. They were acquitted based on calling it uh, stereotyping. They were stereotyped as Italian Americans, blah, blah, blah. And, but there was an omission about the position of consulary. So he didn't like in that he, these two were supposedly shelved. I don't buy it. I, I, don't, I don't see that without uh, causing bloodshed. But eh, it's an article out there. That's all I'm saying. All right, the Genovese family it is the royalty of all families. Oh, let's backtrack the bananas again. Back, back. Uh, South Florida, New York. Uh, New Jersey and Canada. All right, back to the Genovese family. The Lamborghini, the Mercedes Benz, the elite of the elites, the actual family, incorporated in 1931 from Lucky Luciano as the Luciano family. It later, Luciano gets arrested uh, for prostitution, I think, in 1936, gets deported in 1946, get out of here and send him back to Italy and so forth. So his realm is a short one. I believe it's only like nine years until he gets uh, convicted and deported. And uh, Frank Costello takes over. Costello takes over from the time of his arrest in 36 to 57. And uh, Vito Genovese was his other boss. And his, uh, he fled the country because he killed some guy. And he went back to Italy and he laid low for like 10 years. And then he came back. And when Vito came back, he said, what the hell? I should be boss. And uh, they tried to kill Frank Costello, shoot him in the head, missed, bullet grazed him. Costello says, I don't need none of this crap. And he retired, and he gave the helm to Vito Genovese. Vito, uh, Vito Genovese, short Rhine as well, and uh, from 57, I believe, to 62, he gets uh, imprisoned. Uh, for uh, narcotics trafficking, and he dies in prison. So basically, he was still a boss, but you know, being the boss from jail was very difficult. After Genovese, there was a series of other bosses, of course, Lombardo. There were street council bosses, like, you know, a, a ruling panel and all that. Well, I bore you with all that. But in uh, the early 80s, it falls under the the shooter of, of, of Frank Costello, which was Vincent the Chin Gigante. And uh, remember, you could not, under his administration, if you were a member of any mafia clan, if you came on on a federal wiretap saying the Chin, you were dead. So you, you couldn't mention that. You couldn't say the Chin. You couldn't say his name or anything like that. You had to point to your Chin. So there's where that comes. Remember the other one had the ear? Well, he had the chin. He created first. So, um, and of course, the name comes from Vincenzo. His mother used to call him Vincenzo, uh, Sicilian dialect. Oh, not, not Sicilian. Uh, and, and Naples, they're from Naples. A dialect. 
And uh, so the kids in the neighborhood that would hear, you know, Vicenzo, and they would say, hey, Chin, they're calling you. So and the name stuck. So he rules Iron Hand, does the crazy things. People feared him, the most feared gangster, and makes a gazillion dollars. He had an understudy, and he had a, a kid that got made in, when he was 20 years old, 1977. And uh, the, the Chin uh, basically groomed him for leadership roles in the future. And that's the boss that we have currently today. Um, Barney Bellalemo or Borio Barney Bellalemo. And um, the organization is so mysterious, the underboss and consulary are question marks. Now, the Genovese family is the biggest of them all, probably about 300 made members and maybe over a 1,000 associates, who knows. They are the richest, they are the most powerful, and their leadership is usually the oldest. These guys are seasoned and powerful. A lot of their power base came through the Frank Costello era where he had so many politicians, he made so much money, it, was, it wasn't even funny. So they are the most powerful and the most scheming. They People don't know who's who over there. But uh, doing Vincent Chin's rhyme, he'd walk around in a bathrobe in Greenwich Village and uh, act crazy. And uh, fat Tony Salerno in 1986 was sentenced in the commission uh, case as the boss of the Genovese family, and he wasn't. He was a front boss. He was just propped up there to be boss. So he, can, he was the lightning rod, so that way the chin didn't get it, and it worked. So you might say, well, maybe they're doing it again. Maybe, who knows? But they are mysterious. So we have nothing for underboss or consulary with them. The Lucchese family and, uh, oh, the, the Genovese, we got a backtrack again. Oh, I keep on backtracking. South Florida, New Jersey, New York, Massachusetts, and Connecticut. And we probably... God knows where else, because they're all over the place. All right, we got a lot. We, 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 we've got 10 more minutes here, folks. The Lucchese crime family, their boss, of course, Thomas Lucchese was their boss. He wasn't the original boss, okay? And I'll, I'm going to post it on the show notes who the originals are. Let me just real quickly, okay? So pay attention. Stay close to the, mic, to, to, to the speaker so you can hear it. Maranzano was the original name, let's say. From uh, the founder of Salvatore Maranzano, it becomes the Bonanno family in 1931. Current boss is Michael the Nose Moncunso. The Pravacci family was an original 1931 from Joe Pravacci, and that became the Colombo family. And today the acting boss, or the street boss, is Andy Russo. And uh, we are talking now about the uh, Lucchese family, and that is the Gagliano family. It started out originally under Tommy Gagliano, and uh, he was replaced or died when he died by Thomas Lucchese, and the name stuck to Lucchese family. And today, their boss is in prison boss, Victor Amuso. Now, he's been uh, in jail for a long, long time. When the commission case came out in 1986, Tony Ducks Colorado was the boss of the Lucchese family, very effective boss. 
and a very quiet boss. But uh, he did not want to appoint Vic Amuso and uh, Gaspipe, uh, Ant- Antony, Antony Gaspipe uh, Casio to the leadership. Uh, wanted to appoint somebody else, but uh, the person that he was kind of gearing towards appointing as the boss, because Doc Corallo knew he was doomed. He, they gave him 100 years. So he was, you know, rearranging the furniture. He knew he was, that was the end of him. And he wanted somebody else. But lo and behold, that guy disappeared. Nobody knows where he's at. So he was forced to pick these two thugs. And um, the boss, uh, he originally wanted Gaspipe to be the boss. But Gaspipe said, no, I'll be the underboss because let him be the, the lightning rod. That's what he was trying to do. And Vic Amuso, a gas pipe later becomes a, a cooperative witness as an underboss, ruining the Lucchese family. And uh, but Vic Amuso stayed as boss, and he's been in prison uh, since the '90s. So you know, do the math on that. Very difficult to be a boss. And a reflection of that, uh, some of his people. He was originally a cop in uh, Brooklyn. And after he becomes a boss and goes to jail, a lot of the street bosses are now from the Bronx. So there's a lot of jealousy from the guys from Brooklyn. And uh, one of their bosses uh, from the Bronx was a guy by the name of Madonna and, and uh, uh, Stephen in uh, Syria. And, and, and these guys were from the Bronx. So they were, finally the order came out from uh, Vic Amuso to appoint the street boss, which... This is the street boss, is Michael DeSantis. And uh, so bringing that rule back to Brooklyn, where it's been for so many years up in the Bronx. So uh, Vic Amuso is the boss. The street boss is Michael DeSantis. And um, uh, the acting underboss is Patrick uh, Delarusso. And consulary is Andrew DeSimon. So uh, they're very similar to the Genovese family in age. These guys are very seasoned, make a lot of money, and very astute. But again, very difficult to run a crime family from behind bars. All right, we're wrapping it up here, and we're going to look at uh, the uh, Gambino family. Now, the original name of Gambino family was the Magano family by Vincent Mangano. And then it later turns into the Gambino family under Carlo Gambino. Now, long story with that, you know, uh, Vincent Mangano was killed by Abbott Anastasia, which later they had the murder incorporated. And then uh, Gambino, together with uh, a plot with Vito Genovese, they killed Abbott Anastasia. The shooters were... Joe, crazy Joe Gallo, the Colombo family, the Pervalci family. It was, you know, they sent out the contract. And uh, Carmine Persico, the Colombo family, in 1957. That's how they, they became members after that. So the the Gambino, uh, once Albert Anastasia was removed, Gambino becomes the boss. And uh, so the name is still Gambino after all that time, since 1957. And Gambino lived until, I believe, 72. And then he gave it to his brother-in-law, Paul Castellano, 
And in 86, John Gotti said, no, no, bam, bam, shot him and struck uh, Sparks Steakhouse and took over. And Gotti, uh, although very infamous and famous and all this other stuff with uh, being a celebrity gangster, did more harm than good. One of his standing orders that all leaders or capos of the Gambino family had a report like on a, every Wednesday night at the social club, Raver Night in Manhattan, while the FBI just went to town with bugging devices and cameras and high definition identifying all these people. They got screwed big time. And not to mention all the, these uh, elaborate video recordings of John Gotti talking about all kinds of uh, orders he gave and, and murders and so forth. He really did a lot of damage and a lot of stuff uh, you don't do. Interesting uh, interview recently by uh, Sammy the Bull Gravano, and uh, he hasn't come out on an interview for a long, long time, and I'm going to place that on the show notes. Interested in the mentality and how he talks. You know, they made uh, Sammy the Bull out to be a rat because ultimately he did snitch, but I want you, uh, you look at the show notes, you can see the videotape. It's a long one now. It's about a two-hour interview. But uh, you could see his position on to why his back was to the wall. And listen to him. Uh, Sammy the Bull was a gangster. And he was an earner. And there are not too many gangsters and earners in the mafia. There's a lot of goofs that can't earn a dollar, but they're good at killing. And, uh, you know, but to have both traits... Uh, he was one of them. So anyway, we'll, we'll go back to the Gambino family. So Gotti did a lot of damage. And uh, John Gambino, which was a Sicilian faction of the Gambino family, distant cousin of Carlo, uh, they ran the Cherry Hill Gang in New Jersey. They started uh, bringing in what they call the Zips, which are the Sicilian-born uh, immigrants uh, and make, making them made members. Now, the mafia in Italy and the LCN in, in, in America, they, they respect each other, but they're not the same organization, so don't confuse them. You just get, oh, I'm a main member over there, I'm a main member over here. No, it doesn't work that way. So a lot of these guys had to become main members in America. But um, they started bringing in the Zips. The reason they call them Zips is because they talk uh, very fast. Blah, 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 blah. So they, uh, they call them Zips. This was the name came from. And the power started growing. John Gambino dies in prison, uh, but he, he had a, a, a large a Sicilian following. And uh, recently, um, Frankie Boy Cali was killed in New York, and unrelated to mob hits. Some crazy guy wanted to date his nephew, his uh, niece, excuse me, wanted to date his niece, and he said, you know, keep away from here. And Anyway, the idiot uh, knocks on the door and he ends up killing him, basically. And unrelated, but needless to say, I don't think the crazy guy will live a very long life. And uh, Tommy Boy, uh, uh, Frankie Boy, Callie, uh, had a lot of connections where it came to the Sicilian faction. So let's look at the current leadership of the Gambino family. The boss is said to be Dominicio Cefulio. Now, he wants to kind of step to the side, but nevertheless, 
there is a, so he's kind of semi-retired, but there is a street boss slash boss, and that went to Lorenzo Manino, and he's also the underboss. So the boss is there as a figurehead, but it's not really clear if he's fully retired or semi-retired. But uh, the day-to-day operations has gone to Lorenzo Manino, and uh, he filled in for Frankie Boy Colley, which had tremendous ties to uh, families in Sicily. Now, this is where it gets interesting, and we're going to end with this. Now, Frankie Boy Colley was married to an Inzarello. That's His wife was uh, related to the Inzarellos. The Inzarellos are a Sicilian mafia clan. And they were having a war with um, the Colonies and a guy by the name of Salvatore Rina, Toto, they call him. He was a, a complete animal. And uh, he had the Inzarellos and a lot of other clans on the run for many, many years. But because of, uh, you know, John Gotti, I mean, John Gotti, listen to me, John Gambino brought in uh, these uh, zips, they're coming in. Frank Colley now is married to an Inzarello, becomes a main member of the Gambino family. And the Inzarellos have ties to other uh, two mafia clans, the Spatolas and the DiMaggio's and the Inzarellos. So now the Gambino crime family from New York City, they are also in Sicily. Recently, there was indictments in America and Sicily, and made members of the Gambino Karen family were in Sicily when got arrested. So their area of territory would be South Florida and Tampa, New, jo- New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and, of course, as we said, Sicily. The consulary is Michael Pardisco, Par- Paradiso, and uh, old-timer, you know, old American mafioso. He's there to keep the peace, I guess. But the Sicilians are making a real move on the territory of of, the, um, of American LCN. It's going to be interesting to keep your eye on what happens with the Gambino family and the Sicilian grip on this. The Bananos are another family that have a lot of Sicilians, but they're not a part of the ruling body. And uh, Sal Catalano, which was part of uh, the octopus case back in the pizza connection cases, he uh, was a capo in the Bonanno family, just recently got released from prison, and now they're saying he's just a made member. He's no longer a capo. So the Bonanno's that had a lot of those Sicilians they, they, they're not in positions of power like they have in the Gambinos. Gotti did so much damage that everybody in the Gambino family was just happy to see someone else rule. Now, these uh, Sicilian faction leadership have imposed some real strict rules. They don't want to kill. So the first thing is if you screw up, you're shelved. That's one thing that they're doing. And you'll see the interview with Sammy Bull Gravano on the show notes. He talks about that's a smart thing to do. So they're doing that. But they're also encouraging made members to bring in their family. They're also putting out the threat. If you become a cooperative witness, you, you, you will forget about being shelved. 
your entire family could be eliminated. Now, they're not playing games. They're not talking, you know, oh, we won't do this. We won't. They're, all bets are off. So the snitching is going to disappear because if not, the family tree is going to disappear under their leadership. So they talk, uh, they're trying to do a international organization with the Sicilian faction or Sicilian mob and uh, the Gambinos in America and other areas uh, of the world. So I'd keep your eye on uh, our Sicilian friends and see what happens there. A uh, lot to talk about. I wanted to get more out. That's why I split this podcast. So uh, soon enough we'll have, we'll talk about the Philly, Philadelphia, Detroit, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, which is the same, Chicago and Buffalo. And we'll wrap up this series of Who's the Boss of the LCN? As always, it is my honor and my pleasure to be your host on Raider Cop Nation. Continue to pray for yourself because without you in the game, we have nothing. Pray for your family. Pray for your community. Pray for the agencies that serve you in your community. And most importantly, continue to pray for the United States of America. This is Alpha Mike. And I'm out. And guide her through the night with a light from above. From the mountains to the prairies to the oceans white with foam. God bless America.